The hysteria over the situation at the border has now spread from NBC all the way to CBS. And Democrat lawmakers say they are absolutely shocked that President Trump is calling on them to make laws to solve the problem. Standing in the Capitol, Democrat Senator Jersey P. Racebait told reporters, quote, you can't make laws here. This is the legislature. If lawmakers start making laws, then the making of laws will become the business of lawmakers. And we can't have that. This is America, unquote. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer repeatedly shook a pen at reporters saying, quote, look, this is a pen. I am shaking it at you and will continue to shake it until you take my picture shaking a pen, unquote. Schumer was suggesting that President Trump should make laws the way Obama did with a pen and a phone rather than through the legislature. He added, quote, if our founding fathers had wanted lawmakers to make laws, they would not have given us pens, unquote. Meanwhile, angry, irrational mobs seething with rage gathered to read the news on several networks as well as CNN. And of course, as always, Planned Parenthood weighed in with a tweet saying that children should not be separated from their parents at the border, but should instead be pumped full of poison and then have their arms and legs ripped off before their body parts are sold for cash. So basically, it's just another day on the American left. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. All right, it is mailbag day. So, <laughs> that's how you know when you hear the screaming. <laughs> that means that as we start this show, you have terrible, terrible problems. By the end of the show, all those problems will be gone because I will have answered all your questions. Uh, <laughs> Wahoo! My problem was solved by Black Rifle Coffee. You know what my problem was? I cannot go into Starbucks anymore. I just can't. The leftism is smothering. The idea that they apologize for getting rid of trespassers, that they are bullied by, uh, you know, uh, social justice warriors. I can't stand it. And the answer is Black Rifle Coffee. They sent us coffee. This is coffee made by patriots, by former special operation vets. So it's not just good coffee. It's good coffee made by people who love this country. And as they said, that shouldn't be a political point, but sometimes it is, which is just stupid. And in addition, and I'm cleaning that up. These guys are really funny. They're great to talk to. In addition to great coffee and gear, Black Rifle has a coffee club that makes things easy. No lines, no running out, just great coffee shipped right to your door every month, hassle-free. And they also give a portion of their sales to veterans and first responder causes. Visit blackriflecoffee.com slash Clavin and receive 15% off your order. That's blackriflecoffee.com slash Clavin for 15% off blackriflecoffee.com slash Clavin. I have just tried the coffee. It's wonderful and I'm going to join the club. And I don't get that for free, but I will join it. So I know what you're saying. Yes, yes, but please, how do you spell Clavin? You should check our sponsors. You'll love what you'll be saving. But you must remember, there are no easy Clavin. There's jobs and flowers, crates and wine, and all the folks are raving. But you have to spell it right. There are no easy Clavin. There's stamps and sheets and mattresses. There's magazines and shaving. But if you want the discount, there are no easy Clavin. Well, you can eat 
<laughs> right. You know what frustrates me with my fellow conservatives? What frustrates me with my fellow conservatives that they do not understand is every problem in this country is two problems. It is the problem and it is the press. And they don't get it. The press is one of the biggest problems we have in the country. You know, the news, and I'm not being re reactionary. I'm always warning people about being reactionary. Just because the left says something doesn't mean the opposite is true. Just because the left says something doesn't mean they don't have a point. Sometimes they, you know, even a stop clock is right twice a day. But the problem is the way the press plays the story and what they want out of the story makes you so angry and so, and it's so dishonest and it's always on one side. This It's part of this elitist Western suicide group. It's the weirdest suicide in the world because they don't kill themselves, they kill you, and then they sit around drinking Chardonnay saying, wow, I'm sure glad we committed suicide. Now you're dead. You know, that's <laughs> all they want to do is destroy Western civilization. And it's hard not to be reactionary, but that, but it's part of the problem and is why I appreciate, you know, it's why I appreciate uh, Trump more than sometimes he may personally deserve. The news right now the number of Americans seeking social security disability, which is a huge problem under Obama, it's plunging, right? Why? Because of the Trump economy. Uh, if you have an adult child living at home, he may be moving out because that people, more kids are getting out of their house. That was a huge problem under Obama. Why? Trump economy. The number of uh, housing starts is at an 11-year high. Lots and lots of good news. And we'll get back to some of that good news. But that is what we're not covering because of the press. And this whole thing, listen, it's bad at the border. I, you know, do, do not get me wrong. I do not think, I do not want to see children crying and separated from their parents at the border. But you know what? There's lots of children crying for lots of reasons. Children are crying in Chicago and Baltimore and St. Louis because Democrat policies have left them open to violence in poor neighborhoods. Nobody's covering that. So it all depends on which crying children you cover, right? And that is the thing. We have to learn not to be bullied by the press. And so my feeling is, look, I, Trump is trying to enforce the law at the border to discourage people from coming over. I think that's the right thing to do. This idea, and, and you know, if this is the other thing. This show is now covering the news one day before it happens. Didn't yesterday, didn't I tell you that they were going to put forward, the Republicans are going to put forward some decent solutions and the Democrats are going to say they will not do it. Chuck Schumer essentially told his people, do not sign on to anything that the, Demo that the Republicans try to do because we want to keep the focus. This was a quote from him, apparently. I, I don't think this was recorded, but he said, we want to keep the focus on Trump. And then he showed up with this pin thing, right? Because we all know in America, the way laws are made, it says in the Constitution, the president shall use his pen to write laws because we do not want the legislature. And the He's offended. He's offended that lawmakers should be taxed with making laws. This is clearly a job for the legislature. So here he is shaking his pen at the press. There are so many obstacles to legislation, and when the president can do it with his own pen, it makes no sense. Ryan, the president signing it, attaching it to things that are unacceptable. Legislation is not the way to go here when it's so easy for the president to sign it. It's an excuse. The president can change it with his pen. Ryan, Trump unacceptable additions has bogged down every piece of immigration legislation we have done. It's an excuse. Leadership. Leadership. Please don't throw your pen at me without disputing the fact that this could be quicker if the president were to just sign something. If it, if we're having this conversation in three weeks or six weeks, I mean, is, when is there a point? Let's, when is there a point that Democrats would be willing to work with Republicans and say, okay, yes, let's do some narrow piece of legislation here? Let's hope we never get to that. Let's hope the president does the right thing 
and solves the problem, which he can do. That's the simple, easiest, and most likely way this will happen. How many times has le immigration legislation passed in this Congress? How many times? Zero. It's an excuse by our Republican colleagues who feel the heat, don't want to attack the President, even though they know, they know legislation will take a very long time and is unlikely to happen, and the flick of a president's pen could solve this problem tomorrow. Chuck Schumer begging Donald Trump to become king of America. I mean, how often do you see that? What is, Trump, just, Trump has MSNBC reading the Bible, and now he has Chuck Schumer begging him to be king. What is the magic of this man that he just gets these guys? It's, Please be king. We, we can't pass laws. We're just lawmakers. How can we make laws? We can't do it. Unbelievable. And as extra cover, Diane Feinstein has written the Keep Families Together Act. You know with a name like that, it's lousy. So you read the press, like read Vox, right? Vox is this liberal, uh, you know, outlet. Every now and again, they quote me, and I have to say they quote me accurately, at least they did last time. So Vox is saying, oh, this is wonderful. It's, all it does is it reverses Trump's policy. Not true. This is what it says. This is Diane. And every Democrat has now signed on to this, okay? Every single Democrat to for cover, right? So when they go to their red states, uh, they can say, oh, yeah, we, we tried to do this, but the Republicans wouldn't help us. This is what it says. It says an agent or officer of a designated agency shall be prohibited from removing a child from his or her parent or legal guardian at or near the port of entry or within 100 miles of the border of the United States. Know how many people live within 100 miles of the border of the United States? 200 million, two thirds. It's almost the entire uh, area of the country. And when it says a designated agency, that's any federal agency. That is any agency, right? FBI kicks down the door. There's Al Capone with his kid under one arm and his machine gun under the other, rat-tat-tatting away and killing, dropping. They can't take his kid away. If they're 100 miles from the border, it's in Chicago, they cannot take, they cannot take the kid away. So it's just an absolute cover-up. So all this hysteria, right? And again, it's a bad thing. I'm not saying that they should just leave the children at the border. I'm saying the legislature should deal with this by, by legislating, by making laws, right? I'm saying they should deal with it. But all of this, the hysteria, because they choose which babies, which crying babies to cover, right? I mean, this, let's, let's just watch. We have to stop for a minute and watch Rachel Maddow try, just trying to deal with this. She, she can deal with babies being ripped out of their mother's wombs. She can deal with babies being shot on, the, on their stoops in Chicago under Rahm Emanuel. She can be, deal with babies being separated from their crack-addicted mothers in St. Louis and Baltimore, everywhere where Democrats rule. She can deal with that, but she can't deal with those Trump babies. Look at this. This has just come out from the Associated Press this is incredible. Trump administration officials have been sending babies and other young children. <laughs> to at least three. <sighs> Can we put up the graphic of this? Thank you. Do we have it? No. Three tender age shelters in South Texas. Lawyers and medical providers. Just I think I'm going to have to hand this off. And just remember, every time Rachel Maddow cries, Barack Obama does this. 
Because <laughs> it's all to cover up what's being exposed. This is part of the good news, is Barack Obama is being exposed. And that's why this is happening right now. That's why this hysteria is taking place right now. So we're going to get to the good news in just a minute. Well, actually, part of the good news is Quip toothbrushes, right? Because you don't have to, when you travel, and I'm traveling all the time at this point. I'm constantly on the road. I do not want to take a gigantic uh, electric toothbrush with me because it's like traveling with a cannon, right? And an electric toothbrush is important. It will get your teeth much cleaner. But Quip is the new electric toothbrush that packs just the right amount of vibrations into a slimmer design at a fraction of the cost of bulkier traditional electric brushes. Guiding pulses alert you to when to switch sides, making brushing the right amount of time effortless. And Quip also comes with a mount that suctions right to your mirror and unsticks to use as a cover for hygienic travel anywhere, whether it's going in your gym bag or your carry-on. Quip subscription plan refreshes your brush on a dentist-recommended schedule, delivering new brush heads every three months for just five bucks, very important, and includes free shipping worldwide. Quip starts at just 25 bucks, and if you go to getquip.com slash Clavin right now, you'll get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash Clavin, spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com. Yes, but how do you spell Clavin? It's K-L-A. V A N. So Obama, the good news is, is that Obama's uh, corruption, which just went through every agency, State Department, the De- uh, Department of Justice, the IRS, is now really being exposed. They had Mark Horowitz uh, for the second day before Congress testifying about his report. He's the inspector general, right? And he, he did the report on the Hillary Clinton email investigation. He's now working on a report on the Russia collusion investigation. Mark Meadows uh, came out afterwards and said that the FBI seems to have, he believes that there's growing evidence that the FBI uh, altered documentation of witness interviews in the Hillary Clinton and Russia probes. And uh, CBS News (laughs) says that that Peter Strzok, the FBI agent and lover boy who was saying all this nasty stuff about Trump, uh, he was escorted from the FBI amid disciplinary proceedings against him over anti-Trump text messages. So stuff is actually happening. The FBI is responding, even though they're stonewalling Congress at the same time, they're also starting to clean up a little bit. I don't see how they can help it. Trey Gowdy, some, some of the stuff that happened with Horowitz was unbelievable. Trey Gowdy uh, went after him about the how how they could question uh, how they could make decisions to let Hillary Clinton off the hook before they'd even interviewed her. Here he is. Given the fact that you and I agree that actually talking to the witness, the suspect, the target might be, absent a contemporaneous recording, some of the better evidence on knowledge and intent, how in the hell was Jim Comey able to draft an exoneration press release six weeks before that interview took place? I, you know, I think it, it's clear from looking at what we uncovered that by that point in time, they had largely concluded what they had concluded. Um, and but my we... question is, if what you're missing was knowledge and or intent, and the single best repository for that evidence is the person you've yet to talk to, mm-hmm. how in the hell can you make that conclusion? Um, I think I, I'll give you what the answer was that we got back, which was, of course, we kept open open the possibility that we would find some evidence that would change that that view. That was the explanation we were given. If that were true, did you find drafts of inculpatory press releases? Uh, we did not. 
See, now that that's the past. I mean, this is good news that this is coming out because now the full story of the Obama administration, its failure, uh, the you know, all its corruption, the way it turned our government into a Chicago style machine is going to come out. And that's important. That is going to change people's minds. It's going to get to people. It takes time. I understand it's frustrating. The press is covering it up. The press is screaming about the border to keep keep it from getting out. It will get out. The truth will out in this case. And the important thing, that's Trey Gowdy covering the past. But the important thing, as I said, I think it was Monday, is what's going on now? Because when the DOJ turned over some of these emails, they left out this shocking email in which Peter Strzok, key investigator in both Hillary Clinton and the Russian collusion uh investigation and the Mueller investigation until Mueller caught him and fired him, to Mueller's credit, he was saying that we are going to stop Trump from being president. And when they got those uh, text messages, that was left out. And here is Jim Jordan questioning Horowitz about that, because that's what's happening right now. What we have done as we found these texts is send them to the department um, and for them to produce it to Congress. um, And that's what we did um, in May. And who at the department, though? Um, we sent it to the Office of Deputy Attorney General. and So Mr. Rosenstein? Uh, in his office. Mr. Rosenstein yeah, made a decision sure. that instead of us seeing the most explosive text message between these two key agents who were on the Clinton team, the Russia team, and on the special counsel team, he made a decision to wait a month for us to see that, that, that text message. I, I can't speak to whether anyone made a conscious decision. I would just say we had a, there was... In that fourth recovery that we made in May, there was 100,000-plus lines of text to go through, most all all of them we'd found before. This one was one we hadn't. We didn't see it or pick it up until June. And did you not see it, or was it hidden from you? Because we have the text message right before it and the one that happened right after it, but somehow that one, the most explosive one, was missing from the pages that we got months ago. So remember yesterday I was talking about the rule of law, that the rule of law is the machine that preserves your equality and your freedom. Okay, and just just look at how the left everywhere they operate is against the rule of law. They're against it at the border. They don't want there to be a border. They don't want people to be prosecuted for breaking the law at the border. They obviously just thought felt fine about using the FBI to skew elections, to dump Hillary Clinton's investigation. They felt fine about that. They feel fine about putting judges on courts who will not interpret the law, but will make up law from the bench. They feel fine about it. The laws of America are getting in their way because the founders did not want what the left wants. The founders did not want what the left wants. They wanted a government at odds with itself. They wanted a government of enumerated powers. They wanted a government that was so busy fighting among itself that left you free to do what you want and and do what you could and live the life that you could live. And instead, the left has been carefully, since the turn of the last century, has been carefully building this administrative state that is accountable to nobody. It has been using our, our, our organizations to shut people down uh, and shut your freedoms down. And th- it's being exposed. And this is a good thing. You know, you can say, well, Donald Trump has all these flaws, and you know that I believe he does, right? And I, I, but, but when I think of what would have happened if he had not been elected, I'm grateful. I'm grateful he's there. I'm sorry that, you know, we couldn't send a Ronald Reagan. I'm sorry that our culture can no longer, at least right now, produce another Ronald Reagan. But I'm glad. I'm glad we didn't get what we would have gotten if these clowns, if these clowns had been left in power, if Hillary Clinton had been left to cover this stuff up. It's good news that it's coming out. More good news 
from uh, the, our beloved uh, Nikki Haley. I think I think we've all got an immense crush on Nikki Haley at this point. Uh, I, I I started this. I mean, I just found I found it was like S and M porn, watching a slap around, the UN, watching a beautiful woman slap around the UN. But she is terrific, and she and Mike Pompeo announced. What is absolutely great news that we, the U.S., is pulling out of the U.N. Human Rights uh, Council. That You know, I love these things that have these names, right? Names are important, right? Like, you know, zero tolerance. What is that? Well, it's obeying the law, you know. So it's not really zero tolerance. It has nothing to do with tolerance or zero. It has to do with obeying the law. You know, what is the Human Rights Council? It is a council for attacking Israel. They have attacked, they have condemned Israel close to 70 times, right? They've attacked Syria. This tells you everything you need to know. 20 times, okay? They've attacked Iran six times. Israel, 70 times. Free country, human rights, rights for women, rights for minorities, all that stuff. 70 times, 68 times, I'm sorry. The Human Rights Council has condemned them. So here is uh, Nikki Haley talking about the fact that she went to them a year ago and begged them to reform and basically said, hey, reform or we're out. This is cut number four. One of our central goals was to prevent the world's worst human rights abusers from gaining Human Rights Council membership. What happened? In the past year, the Democratic Republic of Congo was elected as a member. The DRC is widely known to have one of the worst human rights records in the world. Even as it was being elected to membership in the Human Rights Council, mass graves continued to be discovered in the Congo. Another of our goals was to stop the Council from protecting the world's worst human rights abusers. What happened? The Council would not even have a meeting on the human rights conditions in Venezuela. Why? Because Venezuela is a member of the Human Rights Council, as is Cuba, as is China. Similarly, the Council failed to respond in December and January when the Iranian regime killed and arrested hundreds of citizens simply for expressing their views. I'm glad that she can't pronounce the word similarly either because I can't either. Similarly, I can't pronounce similarly. Um, and then she goes off on the Israel thing. And this is so important. I mean, this is this is a bulwark of Western civilization out in the Middle East. And that's why the left hates it. They hate it because they hate themselves. They hate the West. They hate the freedom of the West. They hate the freedom that it gives ordinary people, those people that they don't know and don't like and never see and, and despise uh, and fly over country. Here she is talking about uh, the Human Rights Council on Israel. There is the matter of the chronic bias against Israel. Last year, the United States made it clear that we would not accept the continued existence of Agenda Item 7, which singles out Israel in a way that no other country is singled out. Earlier this, earlier this year, as it has in previous years, the Human Rights Council passed five resolutions against Israel more than the number passed against North Korea, Iran, and Syria combined. This disproportionate focus and unending hostility towards Israel is clear proof that the Council is motivated by political bias, not by human rights. Excellent news that we're pulling out of that. I, I, I think we should pull out of the entire UN. I'm sure there's some argument against 
I can't think of it offhand. One more piece of terrific news that I've been wanting to get to all week. Uh, you know, the Southern Poverty Law Center. Here is Saurab Amari, a really good writer, writing in commentary. He says, few left-wing pressure groups are as vicious and mendacious as the Southern Poverty Law Center. Founded in 1971, the SPLC today mainly exists to smear opponents of full-spectrum progressivism as bigots and extremists. And I was joking the other day that they had uh, said they had called out Knowles and Shapiro and I felt left out and I wanted you guys to mobilize and get them to call me hateful. Uh, we failed. What can I say? But but we it's not all bad news because uh, the SPLC, the Southern Poverty Law Center, has been held to account. The group publicly apologized to Majid Nawaz and agreed to pay his organization, the Quilliam Foundation, some $3.4 million to settle a defamation suit because he called Nawaz hateful. Nawaz is a guy who fights both Muslim extremism, Islamic extremism, but also fights Islamic, uh, anti-Islamic hatred. He is a guy doing God's work, you know, and and they wanted to shut him down. Now, because of this decision, some 60 groups are thinking of uh, suing these guys. They should be sued. And remember, Google, YouTube, uh, Twitter, Facebook, they're all using SPLC to vet their news. And this is just a left-wing hate group, and it should be exposed and destroyed. A lot of good news out there. A lot of good news. Don't let the crying babies uh, you know, drown that out. Obviously, like I said, I want that problem fixed at the border. I want a lot of problems fixed that the left has caused that, uh, that involve crying babies. But don't forget that, that, that this news is, is being amped to the point of hysteria to drown out the good news that is actually taking place. All right, we got the mailbag coming up. All your problems will be solved. And if you didn't get a question in this week, you could get one in next week if you would only, only subscribe. It allows you 10 bucks a month and you get all your questions answered, answers guaranteed correct and will change your life sometimes for the better. Subscribe for a year. It's only a hundred lousy bucks and you get the leftist tears tumbler, which fills up magically every time I speak. The mailbag. What do you say is true? I'm just going to pitch forward into my, with a heart attack. And, all right. From Zachary, Supreme Overlord. Regretfully, I missed the Father's Day podcast. When I realized I missed it, I frantically tried to log on to ask the following question. I am 23 years old. A few weeks ago, my father, who has a history of drunkenness, got drunk and fought my 18-year-old brother. The situation ended with him holding a gun to my mom and him spending the weekend in jail. In the past, we have fought, and this isn't the first time there have been domestic issues, although it is the first time that it has involved a gun. After speaking with him after he got out of jail, he seemingly tries to deflect and shift the blame onto my mom and little brother. I could try to forgive him if he would hold himself accountable for his own actions, but it doesn't seem like he's going to. As a result, he and I haven't spoken for close to a month. We usually talk two to three times a week. What do I do? I find that I feel incapable of forgiving him unless he accepts responsibility. Should I forgive him because it is the right thing to do? Thanks. Huge fan. Uh, Zach, this is a, a just a false view of forgiveness. Uh, first of all, your, your father's an alcoholic, and it sounds like a domestic abuser. That you know, When you say there are domestic issues, if he's holding a gun to your mother's head, I'm sure he has done other things as well. This guy is in bad, bad shape and doing bad, bad things. To forgive him involves your letting go of your anger in your heart against him. It does not involve your normalizing your relationships with a guy who has now gotten mortally dangerous. Your mom is in danger. Your brother is in danger. A guy who will pull a gun once will pull a gun again. He is not got a, he is not uh, what did you say? Have, uh, 
he has a history of drunkenness. He's an alcoholic. He's drinking and he's, he's got a rage problem and all these things. You have got to worry about protecting your mom, protecting your brother. It is not about talking to your father two to three times a week, which you shouldn't be doing at this point. You should be detaching from him with love, as they say. At Al-Anon, you should be in Al-Anon learning how to deal with exactly these issues, talking to other people who have these issues, uh, and de- learning how to detach from him with love. You you can forgive him in your heart, but that has nothing to do with what your job is right now, which is trying to protect the people you love from a guy who has gotten really, really dangerous. Don't distract yourself with forgiveness at this point. That's not the issue. There will be time to forgive and time to detach with love. Uh, make sure that your mom and brother understand that this is a dangerous uh, guy who is out of control. Uh, sorry about that, but that's the way it is. Uh, from Omar, uh, hey Drew, I always appreciate catching your show and showing your videos to my friends. We enjoy your unique take and wit. I wanted to write to you about something I felt I've noticed more and more frequently, which is a lack of appreciation for American history. This is closely followed by a lack of appreciation for history as a whole. <clears throat> my father immigrated here when he was an adult and visited Gettysburg twice and developed a deep appreciation for the new country he now resided in. But I know many native-born U.S. citizens who couldn't tell you the years of the Civil War. Um, though still in college, I find this troubling because I believe in the many benefits of history, such as knowing your roots, learning from the past, and many more. My questions to you are, how do you interpret this trend if you agree with me that it exists? Do you think this hurts our society in some way, or is it negligible? I uh, wish you all the best, Omar. Yeah, no, it's a really bad problem, and it's, it was done on purpose. It was done by the left. They gutted our history departments uh, across the country. They gutted history departments even in lower schools. They want to teach theory, which essentially means anti-American hatred in the guise of uh, interpretive theory. The most popular textbook they use is that People's History, uh, the uh, United States by Howard Zinn. He says in the opening of it that it is written from the point of view of the victims. Uh, so the Constitution is told from the point of view of the slaves. Well, imagine what would happen if I told your life that way. If I said to you, yeah, I'm going to tell the history of Omar's life. Let's start with his porn history. Let's start with the time he lied to his mom. Let's start to the time he was unkind to his girlfriend. I mean, I, I could do that with, I'm not saying you, I could do that with anybody, right? I could just find the worst parts of you and tell that story. In fact, America has been a beacon of freedom. There is not a single human being walking around on the earth who is politically free, who does not owe a debt to America, to the United States of America, whether in theory or in fact, they owe America a debt. It is a great country. And to not study what the people, you know, to not even understand why they made the decisions they made, to not even understand why they built the government that they built, it just means what happens when somebody says, oh my God, look over there, problems at the border. Oh my God, look over there, two guys were thrown out of uh, Starbucks. Oh my God, look over there, a policeman shot a guy and the policeman was white and the guy was black. You can distract and, and take away from things people, you can take away from people structures, ideas that took thousands of years of human suffering to create. You can take them away in their moments of hysteria. You can take away the objects that defend them, including guns, right? People, oh, guns, nasty, I hate guns. You can get people hysterical if they don't have a grounding in history. The left did it on purpose. They continue to do it. You're absolutely right, and it is a really dangerous trend. All right. From um, Max, um, 
long-time listener, first-time writer, I have something that has plagued me for a long time, and no one I have confided in has ever been able to help. When I was in college, I was dating this girl, and unbeknownst to me at the time, I got her pregnant. She went ahead without telling me and aborted it. The worst part is later on in our relationship, it happened again, but this time she told me she was pregnant and terminated it anyway. Never once talking to me or taking my feelings into consideration, I've never been able to reconcile it, and still to this day, it upsets me. Well, it should upset you, and uh, there are... A lot of wrong ways to go with this. Uh, I can think of a couple, two wrong ways at least to go with this. One is to uh, wallow in guilt until you're paralyzed and develop a kind of self-righteous feeling of goodness just for feeling bad about what happened. And the other is uh, having no guilt and doing nothing. So those are your two wrong answers. The right answer here is to look, take a look at your life. Um, you may have known, you may not have known. But what, ha- what actions that you took and you were involved in resulted in a catastrophe, the catastrophe being two separate lives extinguished uh, uh, on your watch. Now, you can say you didn't do it. You can say you didn't know about it. That's, that's fine. And I do not want you to wallow in guilt. That's not the point. The point is take a close look at your life and say, well, how did this happen and how can it not happen again? Right. That is where God wants you to go with that. He wants you to say, how did this happen? What did I do? And how do I keep it from happening again? Now, you can guarantee that it never happens again by not having sex until you you get married. But I'm not even going to tell you what to do. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Why were you having relations with this, uh, intimate relations with a girl who would do this? Did you know she would do it? If she had come to you and told you, would you have married her? If not, why not? What did you know about her that would have kept you from marrying her? What were you doing here? What were you doing? So it's like, if if you're angry at her, you know, that's a waste of your time. The question is, what were you doing that led to this and how can you change your life so that it doesn't happen again? I'm not going to give you the answers to that. I, like I said, the sure and certain one is not to um, is, is not to have sex with anybody until you get married. That's a good one. Uh, but you want to come up with, you've got another one? Go ahead. But I want to know, I want you to ask yourself why you were in a relationship with this woman. How, you know, how did it come to be that twice in a row uh, this happened? You know, that, that, that is on you, and you've got to look forward into the life ahead and make sure it never happens again. You've got to look in the mirror and ask yourself those questions. Um, from Alex, why is life worth living? <laughs> well, that's, well, at least you get right to the point. Why is life worth living? That is like asking, that is like asking why should I make, have sex with the wife I adore? That's what it's like asking, okay? And the answer is pretty much the same because it's the pinnacle of existence. It is what you are here to be doing. It is the joy that you are doing. And if it's not, uh, the reason is why not, the answer is you're not doing it right. (laughs) That's all it is. You're not doing it right. So actually, you're asking the wrong question. It's not why is life worth living. It's how is life worth living, right? Once you understand how to live life, the answer will be self-evident, right? It is self-evident why you make love to the woman you love, right? That's self-evident. You don't need to. You don't need to write me and say why is this worth doing. You know, right? But it's because you know how, hopefully, to do that. Well, how do you do that? Maybe the answers are the same. How do you make love so that uh, the answers are obvious? Well, the biggest thing is you pay attention. You pay attention. You don't pay attention to you. You pay attention to the person you're in love with. You pay attention to, in this case, to life. You pay attention to life. You know. That's, I don't want to get facile because that's a, paying attention is a really difficult thing. The reason it's difficult is everything that is worthwhile about life takes place inside you. 
but everything that is life takes place outside you. So you look at the blue sky, the blue sky is beautiful, but the idea of beautiful, the experience of beautiful happens inside you. So you've got to be looking outside and inside at the same time. No easy trick. That is why, you know, because you can't look at yourself in the, you can't look at your own eye without a mirror. That is why you start to have to think about the existence of God and the existence of God's creation. And paying attention and love are very closely related. In fact, I would say the true attention comes through love. And love has to be turned. Love begins inward. You love yourself. And then you have to love others as you love yourself. You learn from loving yourself what it means to love. And then you love others. And then you love God. And not necessarily in that order. So when you when you live life that way, when you live life fully awake, fully alert, you know, you are... It, it becomes obvious to you why you're living because you are so full of joy and vitality, even moments of sadness and sorrow, that it just becomes obvious to you why you, you won't even ask the question. The question is, how is life worth living? Uh, you know, and by the way, I, I believe that this is what the Gospels are about. Everybody else thinks the Gospels are about, don't do that. Don't, uh, no, no. It's about telling other people what you should be doing. But Jesus is always talking about this. What keeps you from paying attention? Fear anxiety, worry. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Don't care about tomorrow. Let tomorrow take care of itself. Let the, the uh, sufficient unto the day are the evils thereof. Uh, you know, the, the Beatitudes, when you listen closely to the Beatitudes, you have to ask yourself, why is he saying this stuff? Why is he saying, you know, uh, blessed uh, are those who mourn? Because part of life is its tragedy. And that, uh, unlike the Buddhists who want to uh, exit life so they don't suffer, Jesus recommends immersing yourself in life. And he shows you that he himself immerses himself in life and death and in the tragedy tragedy of uh, of experience. Uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I'm kind of doing this off from memory, but blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? Aristotle said, loving virtue, loving virtue and doing, uh, acting in a virtuous way. Those are the ways to joy. Uh, so all these things, you know, it's, it is in the Bible, but if you love, if you love God and you love your neighbor, and those were the two big ones that Jesus pointed to, he said, everything else, Everything else hangs from that. All the rules we come up with, they hang from that. And when the rules no longer serve those two commandments, love God, love your neighbor, get rid of the rules. Love God, love your neighbor are the hook that all those things hang on. If those rules are not serving that hook, uh, you know, then, then um, if they're not hung on that hook, then they've become empty. Uh, which is why Jesus says all, the, says all these stuff where, where people will say, well, wait, you got to follow the rules. And he'll say, you know, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He'll say, okay, follow the rules, but he who's without sin, throw the first stone. Why? Because the law is no longer hung on that hook, that double hook of loving God and loving your neighbor. You live like that, pal. You know, I, I, maybe the off, last night, I, I, I let myself get annoyed by something petty. I let myself get annoyed by something petty, and for several hours, I lost the joy of what I was doing. And when I backed up, I thought, oh my God, you know, things are going great. You know, I love what I'm doing. I got let, let some little petty person get in my way, and I, lost, and I lost my joy. That's the stuff that is in the gospel. When you read the gospel, you start to pay attention to what the real meaning of things are. You won't ask, why is life worth living? Ask, how is life worth living? All right. Um, <clears throat> 
From Joshua, I was completely shocked to find out what's been happening in the north of England with regards to the mass rape gangs there. I am simply unable to grasp it. The police in many of these areas knew this was happening and purposely did nothing for decades in some cases. My question is, at what point is the citizenry justified in taking matters, i.e. punishment, into their own hands? I get that vigilantism is bad in a working society, but this case strikes me as society no longer working. If the police justice system is failing this miserable to the tune of definitely thousands and perhaps tens of thousands of raped and abused 11 to 14 year old girls. Does the average citizen have a duty to put a stop to that extrajudicially? Thanks, Josh. You know, I get asked this question numerous times, sometimes about abortion as well. The, the problem is you're not thinking far enough ahead. What happens? What happens after you take the law into your own hands, right? When, once you've knocked down the law, there's a great line in the play, A Man for All Seasons in a movie where he says, if you knock down the laws, uh, to get at the devil, what happens when the devil turns around and comes after you and there are no laws to protect you? And that is the problem. The prob- this, this is a, what is happening in England is a serious uh, illness in the society. There's a serious illness in the society when the police are covering up the rape of children because they don't want to seem to be anti-Islamic, because this is mostly an Islamic problem. And there's a serious issue, and that issue has to be dealt with, and people have, that, have to have the courage. And in England, you can go to jail for having the courage to do this. You have to have the courage to stand up. You have to have the courage to vote for the people who will stop it. You have to have the courage to, uh, to shout about it and be out there shouting about it all the time. If you take the law into your own hands, what happens then? Then your country is gone. And, you know, then you've essentially started a revolution. And the thing about revolutions is they almost never work. The American Revolution worked mostly because it was more of a civil war than a revolution. It was two sides of England breaking away from one another. This is a disaster, this thing that is happening in England. But if you take the law into your own hands, the disaster will be compounded. And I think the same thing is true of abortion. Once you break into an abortion clinic and start uh, shooting people, then you've become the killer. You've lost all your moral authority. You've lost the argument. Unless you are going to burn the government to the ground, once you become the killer, you have lost the argument. And the government will reconstitute itself and go right back to doing with what it was doing without you because it'll carry you off. You got to do it the long way. You got to do it the hard way. You got to do it through the systems that are there. And you got to do it because it is really a disaster. Um, one more. Um, Another Josh. Uh, Dear Clavin, Duke of Duke, second most high, almost anointed one. I admire your honest adherence to the idea of judge not lest you be judged. It is in the Bible after all. Can you elaborate on your reading of this, considering we all make judgments in one way or another every day? Can't this attitude create a culture of complacency where we simply turn a blind eye to the possibly self-destructive tendencies and behaviors of others? Thanks for the great shows. Make your mailbags longer. I think they're getting about as long as I can make them. Uh, yeah, boy, I get yelled at every time I talk about this. I can just wait for it. And one of the things that people say is, if you judge not, how are you going to correct others? You know, especially in the Christian world. First, let me say what I, again, what I mean by judge not, and what I, what I think the Gospels mean, more importantly, by judge not lest you be judged. They do not mean have no discrimination. They do not mean don't pass judgment on the actions of people as they relate to other people, right? If you go around killing people, you got to stop people. That's bad. There's no, it doesn't take me to judge that that is bad, that you shouldn't be killing other people, robbing other people. You shouldn't be breaking the Ten Commandments. 
what you're not judging, what you cannot judge, is another person's position in regards to God, in regards to the kingdom of heaven. You cannot judge that. It is not your job. It is so far above your pay grade that you can't even see the pay grade below it. That is how far away. You have no vote in who gets saved. If you want to read some a really good piece about this, uh, The Great Divorce, I think it is, by C.S. Lewis, uh, show is a dream he has about um, purgatory and, and who goes to heaven and who goes on to hell. And it's a really uh, beautiful piece of writing, very uh, touching and dramatic. But it shows you that you just don't always, you don't know, you don't know uh, who's to judge. So when it comes to correcting people in their Christianity, Jesus had some words to say about this. He said, why do you take the speck out of your neighbor's eyes when there's a plank in your eyes. And what people always say to me when I say this is yes, but this thing goes on to say, first take the plank out of your eyes and then remove the speck from your neighbor's eyes. That is Jesus being sarcastic. It takes a lifetime to get that plank out of your own eyes. That's why it's a plank in your eyes and a speck in your neighbor. That's why he put it that way. You want to lead people to Christ, live in the joy of Christ. You, you will become a door to Christ. Live in the joy of Christ. If you live in the joy of Christ, if you try to understand what Christ is leading you to, because you are made a path to God. God is the way and the truth and the light, and you are made part of that way, part of that truth. You are made a, a, a friend, a friend, he says, to that uh, way and truth and life. Live that way, and you will become a door to Christ for others. And you can say it in words if you have to, but if you say it in your life, it's going to be much, much more powerful than wagging your finger in people's faces. That's what I mean by judge not, uh, lest you be judged. And by the way, we're talking about things that keep you from paying attention. Judgment, that kind of judgment is one of them. Going around thinking that you're righteous and that other people aren't, and you can instruct other people on how to be righteous, is one of the things that keeps you from paying attention to real life, to paying attention to your life and what you're supposed to be doing in your life. I got to stop. I got a million more, but I got to stop. Tickety-boo news. I know everybody complains about Hollywood, but we got to say that Chris Pratt made a speech the other day that was unbelievably great. It was funny. It was self-effacing and it was profound. Chris Pratt, obviously the big star of uh, the new movie, the Jurassic Park he's in. And of course, he's also in the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, Huge star. He was given one of these generation awards, which are just basically promotional awards. But this one promotes the young generations from MTV. And he made a speech where he gave nine points of, uh, of rules for life to the young people there. Uh, here are the last few. Number six, God is real. God loves you. God wants the best for you. Believe that. I do. Number seven, if you have to poop at a party, but you're embarrassed, because you're gonna stink up the bathroom. Just do what I do, lock the door, sit down, get all the pee out first, okay? And then once all the pee's done, poop flush, boom. You minimize the amount of time that the poop is touching the air, because if you poop first, it takes you longer to pee, and then you're peeing on top of it, stirring it up, the poop particles create a cloud, goes out, and then everyone in the party will know that you pooped. Just Just trust me, it's science. Number eight. Learn to pray. It's easy, and it's so good for your soul. And finally, number nine, nobody is perfect. People are going to tell you you're perfect just the way you are. You're not. You are imperfect. You always will be. But there is a powerful force that designed you that way. 
And if you're willing to accept that, you will have grace. And grace is a gift. And like the freedom that we enjoy in this country, that grace was paid for with somebody else's blood. Do not forget it. Don't take it for granted. Wow. Wow. That was hot. Like the freedom we have in this country, your grace was paid for with somebody else's blood. That about tells them everything they need to know for a happy life. That is amazing. Good for Chris Pratt. You know, we, we always talk about Hollywood doing this, Hollywood doing that. That is that is Hollywood. He's as big a guy in Hollywood as there is. And uh, you got to give him props and you got to give the, uh, the the kids props for cheering him. Uh, they heard it. They heard it there first. Hey, we're getting news right now that President Donald Trump said he would be signing an executive order later Wednesday that would end the process of separating children from families after they're detained. He said, I'll be signing something. We don't know what what it is, but we'll find out and we'll discuss it tomorrow. Be there then. I'm Andrew Clavin. This is The Andrew Clavin Show. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Emily Jai. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire Forward Publishing production. Copyright Forward Publishing 2018.